Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to our study of end times. This is Dr. A.T. Stewart, pastor at Westside Baptist Church in Mableton. Today, if you are looking at your schedule of events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, we are on Roman numeral 2, and we are looking at letter F. God seals the Christians from his wrath. This brings us to the book of Revelation chapter 7. Now, if you're listening over the Internet and you would like to have a copy of this schedule of events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, you can obtain one by going to our website. That's www.wbcfamily.org. And if you will click on the rectangle that you will find at the right side of the home page, it says Online Sermons. And that will take you to a page that lists our sermons. And if you'll look down and find the sermon that says why God tells us about end times, if you'll look to the right, you'll see a little PDF symbol. If you will click on this PDF symbol, it should bring up a PDF copy that you can print of this schedule of events that take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah so that you can follow along with us each week. As we turn our attention to uh, the sovereignty of God as we see his love for his people, chapter 7 of Revelation is a break in the action. It's an interlude between the 6th and the 7th seal. You remember chapter 6 gave us six seals of God's wrath, and I believe this happens prior to the tribulation period, and it leads us into the tribulation and the tribulation period itself begins with the seventh seal. But in chapter 7, we have a break in the action. Now, John does this two other times in Revelation. Uh, he does it also between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. In chapters 10 and 11, we see the interlude and the angel and the little book mentioned, and the two witnesses are talked about. And then again, before he describes the seven bowls of God's wrath, we have a break in the action in chapters 12 through 15 as he talks about the Antichrist, the false prophet, the conflict of the ages. Now, I believe there are two reasons why John gives us these interludes. And this one in particular that we're seeing today, the purpose is a break in the action to assure the believer of God's saving love. It's like John says, after you see the six seals and how horrific the situation will be on earth, you need to realize that God is still in control and that God is in charge of what will take place in the future. As we anticipate the coming tribulation, we need these words of assurance that God is sovereign and he's working out the events of human history to accomplish his redemptive purposes and we need to be assured of God's saving love. 
And the second purpose, I believe, for the interlude is John is using this break in the action to answer the question that we saw in verse 17 of chapter 6, where John says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who can stand against the wrath of God that will be poured out in the days of the tribulation? As the sky is split apart like a scroll with the sixth seal, as every mountain and island are moved out of their places, as the kings of the earth and the great men and commanders and the rich, as well as every slave and free man, hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, as they cry out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, who can stand in this day? Well, John answers the question for us in chapter 7. Those who are gods can stand. In chapter 7, I believe John sees the church in two ways. First, in verses 3 through 8, he sees the church standing on the threshold of the tribulation. And then in verses 9 through 17, he sees the church having come through the great tribulation. And these that John sees are described in this chapter as the people of God, the church, Christians. And they're described in three ways. First is those protected from God's wrath. Next is those preserved through the tribulation. And then fourthly is those purchased by the blood of the Lamb. So let's look at each of these. First, those protected from God's wrath. Beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 7, reading through verse 8. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 3,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Now John first sees four angels who have the power to bring destruction on the earth by the letting loose of four winds. Now he's describing the coming plagues and destruction that God's going to send on the wicked world. These angels are prevented from bringing this destruction until God's people, the 144,000, are sealed. That is, they have the seal of God's protection. God is protecting them 
from his wrath. Now we see over in chapter 9 an example of this in verse 4 as we see a demonic host released from the bottomless pit. And it says they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so here we see God placing his seal on his people for their protection from his wrath. Now that brings up the question, who are these 144,000 bond servants who are protected? Well, some teachers of Revelation say they are the, a remnant of Israel, 144,000 Jews. Sealed by God during the tribulation, these will be flaming evangelists, like 144,000 Billy Grahams, preaching to the world. Now, I believe that what we're seeing is the church, the redeemed Christians who are living and standing at the door of the tribulation. These are sealed. They are protected from the coming wrath and judgment of God. I believe these 144,000 Jews are symbolic of the church, the spiritual Israel. I do not believe that the number is 144,000 literal Jewish evangelists. And the reason I think it's a symbolic term is that the Bible refers to the true Jew as one who is a believer in Jesus Christ, not one who is simply a Jew by birth. For instance, over in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And so Paul tells us that a true Jew is not one who is a son of Abraham through the flesh, but one who is a son of Abraham by faith one who has indeed experienced the new birth into God's kingdom. And secondly, John, in the book of Revelation, also makes a distinction between those who are claimed to be Jews and those who are indeed true Christians. Again, I think in Revelation he's using this term Jew as symbolic of Christians. For instance, over in chapter 2, verse 9, in his letter, Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Remember the book of Revelation was written at a time that Christians were undergoing persecution. And so many of the things written in the book of Revelation to the Christians of that day are spoken of in symbolic terms uh, so as not to alert one who might be reading this book who's not a Christian uh, to the true meaning and therefore bring more persecution on the Christians. And so here I think John, as he's listing what Jesus has said, uses the term Jews to speak of those who claim to be Christians, but in reality 
They're not. Also, over in chapter 3, verse 9, again, we see the same thing in the letter of Jesus to the church at Philadelphia. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now, I think you can take the word Jews in that verse and substitute the word Christians and catch the meaning of what is being said. And let me do that. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Christians and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. And so I think that we have indications in this book of Revelation where the term Jew is used symbolically and even cryptically to mean Christian and is interchangeable with the term Christian. And so I think that when John lists this 144,000 Jews, that he's not talking about literal descendants of Abraham by flesh, but I think he's talking of descendants of Abraham through faith. Now, to add to this reasoning is the fact that John does not list the actual tribes of Israel. Now, if he wanted to say that these 144,000 were literal descendants of Abraham by flesh, then why not list the 12 tribes of Israel as given in Scripture? And what we see in this list is we see, first of all, the tribe of Dan is omitted altogether. Also, we do not have the tribe of Ephraim mentioned. Rather, he says, from the tribe of Joseph. Now, you will remember that there was no tribe of Joseph mentioned in the Old Testament, but rather his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were both half-tribes. But John doesn't mention Ephraim. Instead, he says Joseph. And he omits Dan altogether. Now, why is he doing that? I believe because he's wanting to say to those who have eyes to see, I'm not talking about literal descendants of Abraham. I'm talking about those descendants of Abraham through faith. These are believers. These are Christians. Now, what about the number 144,000? Again, I do not believe that that number is to be taken literally. I believe it is a symbolic number representing completeness. Well, how does John derive at 144,000? Well, first I think he takes the 12, the number of Israel, 12 tribes, and 12, as the 12 apostles, and you multiply 12 times 12, and you have 144. Now, 10 is a number of completeness. So, the multiples of these squared is 144,000, representing the absolute completeness of all the Christians who will be living at the time of the tribulation. Not one of God's people will be left unprotected who are living at the beginning of the tribulation. John is assuring us that God's protection is absolutely complete. Not one single Christian living anywhere will be left unprotected. 
that God will protect his children from his wrath and judgment as he protected his children in Egypt from the plagues. I think there's a noteworthy parallel between the Exodus experience and this passage. Remember the Israelites and the Egyptians both experienced the first three plagues, the blood, the frogs, the lice. Also, the Christians, as well as non-Christians, will experience the six seals that we saw in chapter 6. Now, in Exodus 8.22, beginning with the fourth seal, God seals his people and he protects them. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. And I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. And so what we have is we have God separating his people from the rest of the plagues, the insects, and the boils, and the hail, and the locusts, and the darkness. Likewise, with the opening of the seventh seal, which is the tribulation time, God's children will be sealed from his judgments and wrath. We will be supernaturally protected from all God's judgments, such as a fire that will burn a third of the earth, a third of the sea that turns into blood, the locusts which come from the bottomless pit to torment men, the loathsome and malignant sores and boils. We who love the Lord Jesus Christ, God's saving love will protect us from his wrath. The church will be protected. So that we first of all have a look at the church protected. Now John shows us the church preserved through the tribulation, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 7 of Revelation. And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
John sees in these words the church as a great multitude who have come through the tribulation. Now John doesn't know who they are at first. But he finds out in verse 14 when the elder tells him. John is asked, who are these? And John wisely says, I don't know, but you do. Who are they? And he said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Although we will be sealed from God's wrath, we will still experience the anger of the Antichrist. The concept behind the tribulation is the age-long conflict between God and Satan. Jesus was constantly in conflict with Satan and the demonic powers. While the church has been guaranteed victory over Satan through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are still in constant conflict. The church is not spared from the tribulation and the persecution of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will execute mass vengeance on God's people during the tribulation. As we see in chapter 13, you will remember as we looked at the Antichrist in verse 7, it says, And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. The Antichrist will execute Christians in mass, massive numbers. He will execute mass vengeance on God's people. He will destroy God's people. This will be one of the consuming desires that he will have. The death camps, the torture chambers, uh, the gas chambers, the fiery furnaces, the firing squads, all of these ways that people have been killed throughout history will be revived by the Antichrist. And he will seek to kill and persecute Christians every way possible. You say, how can this come about? Well, remember the Holocaust. I'm listening to a series of lectures about the Holocaust. And the professor who is lecturing, says that the Third Reich was convinced that the Jewish people were a malignancy to society. And if allowed to exist, they would eventually destroy society. And therefore, with this rationale, they were to be exterminated like a malignancy. This will be our think the rationale of the Antichrist. He will say that Christians are a malignancy to society. And if they are allowed to continue, they will destroy society. And therefore they must be killed. They must be rooted out, even as a cancer. But John is saying, don't worry when all this suffering comes on Christians during the tribulation that God will keep you faithful to himself. Notice in verse 10 of Revelation 7, notice the cry of these saints who've come through the tribulation. They say, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. Why are they saying this? They're saying this because they realize, having come through the tribulation victoriously, that it's because God has brought them through. God has maintained them and preserved them through this tribulation. You and I may wonder, what would I do if I lost my job because of my faith, or my home, or if I was put in jail, or if I lost my family, or threatened to lose my family because of my faith? Would I have the faith and strength to stand in such a situation as this? And I'll tell you the answer. The answer is no. You would not stand in your own strength. But that's not the right question. The question is not, will I be able to stand in the day of great suffering and persecution? But the question is, will God be able to keep me standing? That's the question. And the answer to that question is yes, He is able. Yes, He will preserve us. He will keep us faithful. So it does not depend on you and me to stay faithful during times of great persecution, even martyrdom. But it is God who will keep us faithful. And these Christians began to shout praises to God and to the Lamb for preserving them, as they say, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Christians will die during the tribulation. Many will die. If you're living in that time, you may die during the tribulation. You may be persecuted, even martyred. But if you live or if you die, you go to be with Jesus. He will preserve us. His saving love will see us through. And John wants Christians of all ages to realize, no matter what situation you may find yourself in, and it may not be the great tribulation, but there are Christians in the world today going through tremendous times of suffering and persecution and even martyrdom. And the key to their standing true to the Lord is His faithfulness, not theirs, but His ability to keep them faithful and to preserve them. So John has, first of all, seen the church uh, protected before the tribulation as they stand at the threshold of the tribulation. And then he sees the church preserved as those who have come through the tribulation. They're on the other side of the tribulation. And now thirdly, John shows us the church purchased by the blood of Jesus. I think what we see in this passage is a parallel to what we see over in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Notice who John sees in chapter 7 verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples 
and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Here we have people from all the nations. This is a great missionary verse. A great verse to know that we have assurance that God is going to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not only will God keep his own, but many will even be saved during the tribulation. Jews and Gentiles are both pictured here. Paul tells us in Romans 9-11 through that God's going to do a mighty work to save Israel during the tribulation. And so, yes, people will be saved during the tribulation. Those whom God has chosen, whose time it is appointed during the tribulation, will be saved. There will be a mass awakening in the nation of Israel during the tribulation as Christ prepares to return. Now notice they're all wearing white robes. This signifies purity. They were not sinless, but their sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If any man be in Christ, the scripture says, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold comes the new. Anyone who's been washed in the blood of Christ has been made pure. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. Notice also they're holding palm branches. Palm branches signify victory. They were a victorious lot. They were a shouting victorious multitude. God has brought them victoriously through the tribulation. Now remember, God's deliverance is not the deliverance of escape, but the deliverance of conquest. Not a deliverance that saves a man from trouble, but one which brings him triumphantly through the trouble. And God will bring his people triumphantly through the tribulation. Notice they all entered into a great blessedness. It says in verse 16, They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. God will wipe away every tear. He leads them to the water of life. They have the lamb as their shepherd. Uh, They enter into a time of great blessedness. And these are all those who have been purchased through the blood of Christ. Remember the slain lamb in chapter 5 in the midst of the throne. Speaking of Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death for us. He came and lived a perfect life. He took our punishment upon himself. He took our place on the cross. Through the shedding of his blood, we have been purchased from our slavery to sin and Satan. And he bought us back to God. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. And he's desiring for you to come into life. To wash you and cleanse you of your sin. To give you eternal life. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. Have you called upon his name? Have you surrendered your will to his will as Lord of your life? And have you by faith taken him as your Savior, believing he did everything necessary through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection and ascension into heaven to accomplish your salvation? You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. It is a gift of his grace. Will you come to him if you have not done so already? Will you be washed in the blood of the Lamb and have eternal life with the Lord Jesus? This concludes our study for today. Next week we will be looking at the tribulation as we see it in the beginning verses of chapter 8 of Revelation. Until next week, may God richly bless you and your family.